All your base are belong to us. Hello, and welcome to Fake Geek Girls, a podcast looking at nerdy pop culture from both a fan and critical perspective, encouraging the things we love to do better. I'm Missy. I'm a writer. And I cried so hard about the beads. Just the beads. It was so much for my tender heart. I'm Mary, I'm a marketer, and I would die for Toru and Kyo. Like, yeah. their relationship is so, like, that that's what I want to read. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's it. That's what I love. I love Kyo. I love Kyo so much. Mm-hmm. It hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts. Um, today we are continuing and finishing our episodes on fruits basket. Uh, Natsuki Takaya's famous manga series and its second anime adaptation, which began in 2019. The superior. The su- yeah, I would definitely say the superior. There were so many good changes in it. I love the art. I love, I especially, I don't know. I know this is such a small thing, but I really love that they use like a soft brownish outline for the characters instead of black. Mm. I think it looks so nice. I love the transformations, like yeah. the colors. And I stuff. really loved in the final opening sequence um, where the there was the little puff and it made it look like Kisa farted. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, every season had a banger opening. Oh, yeah. Like, what just, was your favorite? I think my favorite was the second season. Yes, that one was so good. That one was really good, but I feel like the third season was so appropriate. Yeah, I really liked this, the opening to season two. It was so good. And I really liked the ending to season one. Yeah, you did. I was, it was just, it was just, and I liked the, I liked the ending of season two because I thought it was the prettiest to look at. Oh, it was very it was pretty. Beautiful. But I, I think the, the, I, I always get the opening to season three stuck in my head. Mm. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. It was very good. It was very good. Uh, the little things. The back half of the manga covers some of the backstories of the characters we met over the first half, including their relationships with the Soma family head, Akito as well as Akito's own backstory. Without jumping immediately into the big spoilers, we learn that every member of this current generation of the Zodiac has been through some extreme trauma uh, without any real attempts at healing or fixing things, resulting in the family being deeply traumatized and inflicting their trauma onto one another and everyone that they encounter. Uh, It's a disaster. Um, Again, as a reminder, we are talking about this series from an American perspective. Uh, while we have done some research into different aspects of Japanese culture to understand what something might mean contextually, we are not authorities. And I recommend looking into work by Japanese critics and scholars if you want a more in-depth understanding of Japanese culture and how it's represented in Fruits Basket. Because I simply cannot give that to you. Yeah, there are some parts where it it's really clear, like, this is not part of my culture and, like, difficult to understand. Yeah, yeah. And so we're, we're, we're always going to be coming at it from American, an American perspective and something that might mean something completely different in Japanese culture. So don't... Like us, for example, like us talking about misogyny or something may mean something different in American culture than it does in Japanese culture. This came up. I I cut a lot of it simply because I didn't want to spend the entire episode talking about Ritsu. Um, But the like one major difference in America, there's like a huge movement by trans people to um, decouple trans identity from a medical diagnosis um, because that that creates a gateway to accessing gender affirming care such as surgery or hormones etc um in japan that's not the case especially because they have socialized medicine so there's actually a move to preserve the medical classification because that makes it 
easier and more it makes Hmm. it easier to access treatment and it makes it more publicly acceptable to say oh I have a medical condition as opposed to this is my identity so that's like a huge cultural difference that's like you have to understand from the perspective of the culture that it exists in yeah um that's the kind of thing where like I can do as much research as I want but I will never understand the nuance Um, And so, again, just keep that in mind as you're listening to us talk about stuff. We're always talking from an American perspective. I cannot say what something means in Japan. Um, I do also want to give a content warning. If you haven't watched the show or read the manga, this gets it's quite serious. Um, It's still like heartwarming and sweet, but it deals very heavily with trauma, with abuse, physical and mental and emotional. Like uh, all the flavors are there. All the flavors. it deals with suicidal ideation, um, all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about that not any more like like intensely than it appears in the show itself. But if that is distressing for you, feel free to skip this one, especially the last couple sections are where we're going to focus on um, trauma and that kind of thing. Just be aware. So the first thing I want to talk about here, and we spent a good amount of time on this in the last episode, but like there's just so much. Um, to talk about is gender play and confusion and gender bending because this this series has a very interesting relationship with gender. I say interesting in the broadest possible definition. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, hell yeah. And sometimes I'm like, huh. Interesting. And sometimes I'm just like, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, having now finished the story, we know that we were only really scratching the surface of the gender conversation in our first episode. Uh, There is a lot going on with gender in Fruits Basket, some of it very clear and some of it more subtle. And there are also a lot of complicated feelings about individuals because of their gender. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, you know, I don't know how much of this was like intentional exploration of gender issues on the part of the creator or creators in, in the term in terms of the anime. Um, but it is like, it's there whether it was intentional or not. Um, so this is a quote from transnational transformations, a gender analysis of Japanese manga featuring unexpected body bodily transformations, which is by Jane M. Maidley, who writes in manga, there is a long history of highly fluid and often ambivalent depictions of gender, sexuality, and gender relations. In these texts, the reader finds evidence of highly traditional and stereotypical gender depictions while also encountering a great deal of playfulness about gender and gender relations. These contradictory messages open up the multivocality of these texts. They can at one... They can, at one and the same time, offer both traditional and transgressive gender models to readers. The participation of the reader in completing that the meaning through closure may generate a number of possible gender messages from these texts, regardless of whether the reader's gender traditions are based in Japanese or other cultures. Um, which is just really, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Um I think that the second sentence there, which is in these texts, the reader finds evidence of highly traditional and stereotypical gender depictions while also encountering a great deal of playfulness about gender and gender relations is extremely true. Fruits Basket. We see some highly traditional depictions of gender and gender expectations. And then we see some very interesting subversions of those expectations. On the one hand, as we talked about in the last episode, there seems to be some expectations placed on characters because of their gender, such as that Toru is the caretaker of the house and that Yuki and Kyo physically fight one another a Mm -hmm. lot. Like those are pretty traditional gender expectations. But there's also a lot of like 
playfulness is maybe not the right word because I think that suggests a levity to a lot of it that doesn't really fit Fruits Basket. Um, but maybe gender bending or gender exploration to the story. Um, many of these characters, especially the Somas, have either serious hangups about their gender or they are comfortable with their gender and gender play to an extent that sometimes makes other characters uncomfortable. Um, so first I want to talk about Yuki. We did talk about Yuki somewhat in our last episode, um, but we were not, we, again, only scratching the surface <laughs> as far as Yuki goes. Um, so the earliest example of discomfort in the, in the series with regard to gender and gender expression is probably Yuki. Um, Kyo also seems irritated with characters like Ayame, Ritsu, and Momiji, mm-hmm. but he is irritated with everybody, like, constantly. So yeah. it's hard to say, like, is Kyo mad about the alternate gender expression or is Kyo just mad all the time? He, they also happen to be, like, over-the-top personalities. Yeah. So you never know. You, you just really never know with Kyo. Whereas with Yuki, who is generally pretty nice, um, he seems really, not necessarily offended, but irritated by characters who don't do gender the way that he thinks gender ought mm-hmm. to be done. Um Yuki seems to take particular issue with male characters in feminine clothing, no doubt in part because Ayame is so self-confident and fine with being so pretty, whereas Yuki spent much of his childhood feeling abandoned by his mother and everybody else except Akito, who herself has some serious gender issues. We'll get to Akito later. Um, Yuki seems to resent that feminine part of himself because it suggests a connection to the person who hurt him so much, which would be his mother. Um, he doesn't know about Akito being a woman, but he does He does know for certain how awful his mother was to him. Yeah, and I feel like he saw Akito treat women so terribly mm-hmm. that there has to be like this connotation between like women and being weak mm-hmm. or something like that. So not, not wanting to be associated um, with femininity um, can't it couldn't have helped yeah and like like he says in, and I think we talked about this in the last episode that part when he wears uh, the the, the dress. dress to the cultural festival and everybody's calling him cute and he's like it's not a compliment to call a man cute and Toru tells him cute is saying you're cute is just another way of telling you I love you cute is not gendered yeah Exactly. But as, as we talked about in the last episode, the word cute in Japanese, kawaii, does have a connotation of weakness and frailness, and that is offensive to, um, to Yuki. So throughout the series, and like when we learn more of his backstory, his relationship with Akito, his relationship with his mother, we start to understand why he might resent... It, the implication that he is in some way not masculine. Especially like if you, if there's a connotation between weakness and femininity and he happens to also be a very sickly kid, mm-hmm. like only, and like having been like oppressed, like in like the literal sense of being kept in um, a room and like essentially being kept weak yeah, yeah. by Akito and like try, like he's, he moved out of the house for a real role. He was asked to move out of the house for a reason. Right. Um, and good thing he did. Yeah. Because I mean, the way that Akito treated women specifically was clear. Yes. Um, clear. And, and like, like you said with his mom and everything else, like Yuki was destined to have some, some hangups, some hangups. Yeah. Toru, now when Toru enters Yuki's life, Toru represents another way to look at femininity and feminine traits to him. Not only is she incredibly nurturing, which is not something he's ever seen from a woman in his life, um, 
and she does that regardless of romantic or familiar relationships. But she also praises these parts of him that he sees as weak or as dangerous, such as, again, when she tells him that calling someone cute is another way of saying I love you. Um, that's that's important to Yuki because he has never had a woman in his life treat him with anything other than scorn or distance in the case. Cause like there are female um, like servants at the Soma household. Mm -hmm. There are female members of the Zodiac, but it's different. It's different to have a peer or a servant than it is to have a person who loves you because they choose to, or a person who loves you because they're your mother, which makes like the overprotectiveness make so much sense because it's like, Yes, you're protecting Torah, but you're also protecting this, like, thing you never had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there is a lot of mistrust of the other in the Soma family, just in general. Not just because of the curse, but also because it behooves Akito, or whoever is in the god position at the time, uh, to keep them isolated and trapped in fear, right? They interact with society, but they mostly stick to one another. Um, for Yuki in particular, he's totally unsure of how to relate, pe relate to people who aren't Somas because of how he was intentionally isolated by Akito, which is like quite literally an abuse tactic. Um, that makes him, uh, the fact that he, like, he, the, the way that he was raised gives him these traits that read to others as mysterious and kind, um, but are not necessarily connected to how he actually feels, which is that he doesn't yeah. belong. Which is, you see so clearly towards the end when he actually starts to get a personality. Yeah, yeah. Um, to Yuki, there are a lot of others, like, there are lots of different kinds of others, not just, like, literally other people, but, like, otherness there are there are lots of different kinds of others and one of those types of others is women um there are a limited number of women in the soma family and none of them are particularly caring primarily because they are literally children or because they're awful like well and you can see like especially specifically with the zodiac the older women are tougher yes um as opposed to um uh kisa who is not and I, I assume this is because she has not been abused by Akito as much. Yeah, probably. And, and so, and the other women have, so they have to create this like tough exterior. And if like someone like Yuki doesn't understand that, then it only adds to it. Yeah. Um, it's not surprising then that Yuki has such hangups about femininity, just simply because he hasn't seen any people not act like this toward him. They either revere him because he's mysterious and hot in the case of the students, or they are distant from him because they have to be in the case of like the servants, or they're just not peers to him like Kisa or um, even Isuzu or uh, I love Isuzu. any of the other, I'm drawing a blank Kisa. I said Kisa, Kagura. right? Yeah. Kagura. Um, but that's it though right yeah there's not a lot of female members of the zodiac um but toru represents something different to yuki right she's deeply caring she's deeply feminine and she's patient enough with yuki to help him start untangling these gender hang-ups um it's not that yuki needs to be comfortable in women's clothing to be considered healed so much as it is that he needs to understand that there is nothing wrong with wearing feminine clothing for any reason mm -hmm. right there is nothing wrong with femininity there's nothing wrong with him in particular being feminine it doesn't make you weak it doesn't make you weird even if he never wears a dress again or a skirt or anything like that again wearing it should not make him feel like he's less of a man which is mm -hmm. what toru helps him begin to understand yeah. it's less like yuki you have to wear a dress or you're not better it really feels like uh we could have used ritsu better for us 
great. <laughs> Can you use like, Ritsu better in a Ritsu, lot of ways? Ritsu could have like helped uh, draw like context to this stuff. Yeah, really well. Yeah, um, but I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> um, this is a quote from the Always Smiling Girl: How Toru Critiques Toxic Positivity by Olivia Livy Burke, who writes, "What elevate what elevates Fruits Basket from the most common version of the quote unquote cheerful, helpful girl." quote sorry trope is that this support is mutual yuki and kyo appreciate toru so much that they want to help her value her own feelings and well-being yuki helps take care of her when she's sick and helps her study so she can pass the upcoming exam kyo often calls toru out when he sees her suppress her feelings he reassures her that she is not a bother and provides her with a safe space for vulnerability and openness so while yuki is a kind person before meeting toru like it's not like he's mean or anything he is generally speaking a kind person Mm -hmm. he has empathy he cares for other people but he feels very distant from them um toru helps him learn to express his feelings and get to know people better she encourages him to stop keeping people at arm's length Mm -hmm. he needed that nurturing to come out of his shell and become the person that he wanted to be um it is it's like it's quite funny when kakeru describes toru as yuki's mama oh my god especially kimmy's joke about daddies in response (laughs) oh my god it's so good um but it's also not inaccurate it's not that's what makes it so great uh yuki like yuki even says later like i think he says to i think it's in the manga to toru like you're like my mom yeah um Yuki has not been nurtured by somebody before. That is simply not, and that's something he's never had. He has never been nurtured. Um, and he hasn't really seen the power of platonic love in his family. Nobody has ever shown it to him before. Uh, when Toru shows him the power of platonic love, he mistakes his reciprocal feelings for romantic love, or at least he deems the romantic part more important than the platonic part. It's like as if there couldn't be a love unless it was romantic. Exactly. Yeah. And again, I think that just comes from the fact that he has not experienced love Mm -hmm. And he has not seen love unless it's romantic in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, But throughout the story, he learns to value that platonic love for what it is. And that acceptance of nurturing outside of a romantic context is what allows him to eventually connect with Machi, even if it does become romantic eventually. Without the platonic love of Toru, without the platonic love that he develops with all of these characters, with Kakeru, his his BFF, whom I love. um, Uh, He's just he's just a gift. He's just a gift to the world. Um, Without that platonic love, he would not have been able to accept and reciprocate Machi's romantic love. I just got to say, when they're sitting in the classroom and she gets that box of chalk and he just casually breaks a piece piece, and without like he just continues what he's doing, doesn't stop talking. I like this is true love. It's so good. Why is my husband not breaking chalk for me. It's just such a, it's such a small gesture of understanding. And it's so like, it's so sweet and so good. And it's, it's one of those things that's like indecipherable to anybody outside of their relationship. Like yeah. anybody looking at it is like, why the fuck did Yuki just break a piece of chalk? What's he doing? <laughs> but, but between the two of them, that gesture in the same way that, you know, uh, Toru is saying, you know, saying you're cute means I love you. That expression of breaking a piece of chalk is also an expression of love. Um, It's such a small thing, but it shows how much that Yuki has grown. And that he's paying attention and can understand the subtleness of somebody. Mm -hmm. Because she doesn't really talk too much. I think at that point he had heard her backstory, right? I think so. But she still doesn't really talk a lot. So he's pulling a lot of what he's getting from this from her actions. Mm -hmm. And to like... Just no. And he wasn't there when she originally like threw the chalk on the ground. So he didn't see the first time she reacted mm-hmm. to it. 
he just knows he just knows he's paying <sighs> attention and he just anticipates like this is something that she will need there's a really good tiktok girl who does like a series where it's turning my husband into a fictional male character and i'm ready for the um hey michael would you break chalk for me <laughs> it's a really good tiktok i highly suggest it it's extremely funny and her husband very much is like um i should be like do i smell like daisies and fresh water and he's like you smell like throw up <laughs> the the kid just puked or you smell like you smell like dog you just gave the dog a bath it's so funny <laughs> anyways um do you have anything else to say about yuki no i i really i have like mi- not mixed feelings about yuki but um i never really cared too much about him and then when he started like getting a personality i almost like didn't care for him even more and i think part of it is because i only felt like i saw that personality that's like that was actually interesting when he was in student council Mm -hmm. and um not really with anyone else every now and then with like toru but um once he actually got with with uh, machi it felt better i think my feelings about i really like yuki especially now having read the Mm -hmm. manga i i did not like yuki until i read the manga and watched the 2019 anime because when I first read or when I first watched the show like in high school and I think I read like maybe a volume or two of the manga, uh, it was still in the love triangle phase. And in my friend group, it was team Kyo or team Yuki and everybody was team Yuki except me. And so that <laughs> when you are a teenager, um, that kind of breeds resentment toward the, <laughs> toward, then, toward yeah. the, the part of the love triangle that you are not a part of. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, cute. Yeah. And then Missy and I knew we're friends forever. Yeah, exactly. I was like, who gives a fuck about Yuki? Um, so now, like now having, you know, distanced myself from that, I can appreciate Yuki more. And I especially love the fact that this went in a platonic direction yeah. and talking about the importance of platonic love, because I just don't think that that is done enough. I um, think the use of Yuki with Toru was so good because he gave her explicit care mm-hmm. um whereas a lot of other things like people cared about toru but it wasn't necessarily like here's me caring about you where with yuki it really feels like he's like here's me care let me carry this for you mm-hmm. because i appreciate you and the way that he expresses love too is different from the way that kyo expresses yeah. love and we i think as people we are generally not satisfied by just having one caring person in our life not because everybody provides care in a different way and and we need love in a variety of forms not just in a single um single drop a single brain expression comes down from god <laughs> a single expression of love um romantic love is great platonic love is also great um it love doesn't need to, great love is great you heard it here folks we're, we're hot takes hot takes love is great um let's talk about mimiji a little bit uh Unlike Yuki, Momiji doesn't seem to have any particular gender hangups as such. Uh, but he does have interesting gender expression, right? Uh, Momiji is portrayed as more feminine than other people his age. And he shows up to his first day of high school in a girl's uniform. Yet yeah, Momiji is the most well-adjusted. It's Despite the <laughs> fucking tragic story. I still hold that that's one of the saddest. Like, that, I didn't cry as hard at anything else as I did at that. God. Uh, but like the even like after everything broke, the way that Momiji handled it was so like logical. Momiji. And I'm just like, how did you? What's your secret? 
Oh my God, Momiji. Um, so Momiji shows up to his first day of high school in a girl's uniform, which causes Kyo and especially Yuki some frustration and honestly what looks a lot like distress. Like yeah. they both seem a little distressed by Momiji's choice of clothes. I'm curious if it because it's like how it would reflect the family. Yeah, I think that, that that's probably part of it. And I don't I don't think that there is a clear reason why this is so off-putting to Kyo and Yuki other than the fact that it is unusual and could draw attention to the Soma family. Um, but to be honest, teenagers feel things that are kind of outrageous all the time and they act on it like teenagers sorry teenagers sorry teenagers. sorry to teenagers but i am as a as a recovering teenager uh teenagers do and feel a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense mm-hmm. uh, and they don't always interrogate those feelings mm-hmm. they're just kind of like it's what i feel so it's right um there's also, you know, no clear reason why Momiji dresses more feminine than the other boys, which I think is also refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do not have to pathologize or explain his gender expression in any way because there is nothing wrong with any form of gender expression, no matter what the person's gender is. I was thinking a lot about Momiji and the like dressing in, in girls clothes um and like this feeling of connection to playfulness and like mm-hmm. being a child still. And I'm, I wonder if it has to do with his childhood was essentially taken away from him. like the, his childhood as a nurtured child was taken away and mm-hmm. he has to watch his sister have that life. So it's like a way to connect to a life he could never have. I, I yet still so well adjusted. I really appreciate that Momiji finds joy in his gender expression yeah. because I think that's really important and we'll get to Ritsu in a minute, but that's something that is really missing from Ritsu's story for me yeah. is the, is the ability to find joy in your gender expression, whatever that gender expression is. Um, there, you know, so there's no clear reason why Momiji dresses the way that he does. Um, and I find that refreshing. It's, it, he just, it, it, for all we know, he just, dresses feminine in feminine clothing for no reason other than that he likes how he looks in it which is a perfectly valid reason he looks great he looks great um i think since we do have multiple characters with hang-ups about their gender and how clothes make them feel it is nice to have a character like momiji embrace a more feminine style Mm -hmm. because he simply chooses to Mm -hmm. um he does you know kind of grow out of it a bit he certainly grows toward the end of the series suddenly um but he keeps his rabbit backpack which is still more of a feminine a feminine choice and I appreciate that even as he grows up and the curse breaks and he's kind of like he's so mature he's so mature like even talking to Kyo of like do you really want to watch her be with somebody else mm-hmm. like this is this is your fault if you let her go and if you let her go I'm snatching her up <laughs> yeah. um th- like the fact that he keeps the rabbit backpack and that connection to playfulness and that connection to his his gender expression as being more feminine um makes Momiji makes it as much as I'm going to have criticisms of Ritsu's characterization, the fact that we have Momiji there makes me feel a little bit better <laughs> because it doesn't feel like it's trying to like say that Momiji is immature mm-hmm. or anything like that. Because Maj- Momiji is one of the most emotionally mature characters yeah, in the series. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how Momiji's thriving like that. Momiji just, I don't know. I have no clue how they are so... Yeah, well adjusted, <laughs> emotionally like mature, can see things be like that's wrong and that's right, and I'm just like, where did you get this from? Yeah, um, but I love that. So, shout out to Momiji. <laughs> shout out to Momiji. <laughs> um, especially just the the expression of joy in his choice of clothes makes mm-hmm. me happy, and it makes me. Um, it just it. It is nice to see that it's not an attempt to like say like oh Momiji is so harmed by his upbringing that he wears feminine clothing. It's no, it's just like 
No, that's just that's just Momiji. Momiji. Just being Momiji. <laughs> um, anything else? To say? I know that section was really short, but anything else to say about Momiji? No. Nope. I wanted to do the positive uh, gender yeah. expression before we get into Ritsu. So speaking of characters with gender hangups, uh, one thing I want to get out of the way here is that I think readings of Ritsu as trans are totally valid, um, but that is not how I read the character. Uh, I think if Fruits Basket were written in a different time or with a different intention or perhaps by a different person, I might be more likely to read Ritsu as trans. Um, but like many of the characters in the series, he sounds to me more like a person with deep trauma and hangups about gender. In this case, he seems to associate femininity and feminine clothing with being weak. Um it's very interesting and kind of similar to Yuki in a way. Uh, but unlike Yuki, Ritsu dresses feminine to sort of embrace that perception as being more in tune with how he feels. Um, so, you know, I, the thing the thing to me is I think it's totally fine to read Ritsu as trans. You do you. Chase your bliss. That's not the reading I'm going with here. Um, simply because I think this is Ritsu's one of my points of criticism of the series. Yeah. I just don't think enough care was put into it to really make me feel like that's the case. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I find Ritsu to be a really complicated character to talk about for a lot of reasons. Uh, one being that very little time is spent on him, uh, which I believe uh, Natsuki Takaya has expressed regret about. If I remember reading, I, I seem to remember reading that she was like, yeah, I should have spent more time on Ritsu. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much that could have been done, especially since this, there's so much like emphasis on gender. And like, yeah. here's somebody that is outwardly portraying, you, you, there's no subtlety here. Like literally cross-dressing. <laughs> yeah, there's no subtlety here. Um, and you just let it go. Yeah. Um, Ritsu is introduced then disappears for the majority of the story uh, which is both unfortunate and not really surprising given how, given how many characters there are in the series I under, I, lo- I love the, the Zodiac thing I love the Zodiac motif but there's too many characters there are too I'm many sorry. characters there's, just, there's too many this, this manga needed to be like a thousand volumes to give everybody the same care and it, it just didn't happen uh, and, and it sucks that it's Ritsu who had the least attention paid to him i will say i found ritsu so fucking annoying (laughs) i like and like i i i am sad that they didn't do anything with ritsu but at the same time like oh thank god i don't have to listen to this loud mouth (laughs) like i just like the constant like bowing and like i'm sorry i'm sorry i like i just couldn't take it it is it is annoying and i think it's i think it's by design yes i think it is by design. it's like uh Ritsu is one of those characters where I'm like, I want you to be done better because, like, I feel like that sometimes too, Ritsu, <laughs> apologizing for my own existence. Um, there's also the fact that, like, we don't really get a good insight into Ritsu's character because of how little time we spend with him. Unlike many of the other characters, we really don't know much about his relationship with his parents or even Akito. We have yeah. no idea because they said in the they're like uh, when when uh, Ritsu was too young to know what was going on. So like yeah. Akito is in this space of like he's older, but he doesn't know what's going on, and he's yeah. not younger, but he acts that way. Yeah. Did you mean uh, Ritsu? Ritsu. Sorry. Okay. Uh, he's he's just kind of introduces this oddity and then left that way until the end, where we see that much like the other Soma's Toru's influence and her speech to him about finding reasons to live, which we'll touch on later. Um, has been positive and when the curse breaks out or when the curse breaks he cuts his hair and he's dressing more masculine and he's dating uh, another very annoying character the the editor I can't remember her name yeah I don't know her name Um, 
which means, you know, that he's feeling more comfortable in his own skin and no longer needs to mold himself into something that he thinks will be more easy, more easily accepted by society, which is like weird, I feel like. And it's quite possible we're running into some cultural differences here. Um, but it seems odd to me that Ritsu takes up dressing feminine to better match his personality, less because it brings him joy and more because it makes him easily palatable to others. Because he's seen as weak and overly apologetic, etc. It's more socially acceptable for him, a man, to dress as a woman than to simply be a supposedly weak-willed man. I feel like, so, I feel like there's this sense of, and I don't know if this is what they were going for, but when I when I think about this, because I thought a lot about Ritsu and and the reasons in which in which he dressed as a woman um and I feel like there's a, and like the 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 clear like Ritsu has such a clear like <laughs> you know what he's thinking like uh so this clear like women are weak and I feel weak and therefore I'm embracing this it kind of feels like um let me point out my flaw before you yeah. so you can't hurt me yeah it's and- just it, it's it's traumatizing. The, the reason I think this is like I think we might be running into a, a cultural difference here mm-hmm. is that in 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 our culture it would be far weirder for a man to dress as a woman because he thinks that that is a way to more, be more palatable than it is for a man to simply be weak. Like that, neither of those are good things in our culture, but it is less palatable in our culture for a man to dress as a woman. Um. So I I do wonder is there a cultural difference there I, with you, regard to gender expression that we simply I would have to th- like I would have to think so just because of the way in which like maybe there maybe there isn't so much given to Ritsu for a lot of reasons but maybe part of it is that there's a cultural understanding that that maybe for Japanese people that doesn't need to be explained yeah and so it's easier to have more insight on Ritsu than it is for us mm-hmm. like I, I think that no matter what Ritsu is going to be weird just judging yeah. judging from the reactions, the reactions of characters around but Ritsu. you might understand it better yeah whereas I sat here trying to figure it out and like I understand the connect- like the connection to being weak but it's just like to go that far into it how did, how does that make you more palatable when you are still just really fucking annoying <laughs> like that's not what made you not palatable yeah <laughs> that's not it dude uh so the thing the thing that really gets me about this ending for Ritsu, like I'm of course I'm happy. I'm happy for you, Ritsu, that you feel better about yourself and your body and you're dressing as a man because that's what brings you joy. But that means that in the end, the biggest sign of Ritsu's healing is essentially heteronormativity. Which so like goes in the face of Toro. Yeah. It, you know, in that he starts dressing more masculine, he cuts his hair and he starts dating oh Matsuri, who is Shigure's <laughs> Shigure. Shigure. <laughs> Every editor. time I was reading it, I'd be like, Shigure. <laughs> you, Shigure? So that you don't... Shigure. 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 Um, I liked when they just said gure. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, well, we should just go with that. <laughs> um, it suggests something unfortunate, which is that challenges to binary gender, and depending on how you read Ritsu, heterosexuality, um, are the result of trauma and not one of the many facets of what make people unique, right? Yeah. It, it feels like... It, fe- it feels like it suggests that challenges to binary gender only come from trauma and nothing else. Well, I think, too, there's like this, the like being trauma healing and being more normal because like clearly a lot of these characters are not straight, mm-hmm. but they all end up. With- the only one we the only one we know basically for certain is Hataharu. Yes. Yes. But like, should get it? No. Um <laughs> I am it no, <laughs> like, but they end up with uh, mm-hmm. in heterosexual um, relationships, which, like, I don't know. It just kind of feels like in the end they all 
lived happy live happily ever after in normalcy straightly straight yes <laughs> very straight um like even even yuki like, yeah even yuki like i i uh i just thought when you look at like witsu and like dressing more masculine and then looking at characters who are like like when when what's his name when he's like uh uh hitori when he's like i gave shigure a shot it was really big and i put like like the way that he's saying it really feels like i put my dick in him yeah i mean they're always flirting with one another um hatori ayame and shigure are always flirting they definitely have sex a lot and (laughs) so it's just kind of like and then they all lived happily ever after in their heterosexual relationship i mean the the thing is i think this may be another cultural thing that we're butting up against because there there are like the laws with regard to sexual expression in terms of sexuality in Japan are very different mm. to how they are here. The um, what is palatable is very different here. This is true. Um, so their relationship in to Japanese readers may not read as actually romantic. It may read mm. as a very like, ha ha, they're playful with regard to their sexuality. Whereas here we're like, well, they're probably gay. Well, they may, yeah, it may just, I know, so we worked at an outlet mall. Um, this sounds like a really weird place to go, but it'll make sense. <laughs> um, we worked at an outlet mall that was very uh, high on tourists. And one of the things that I had noticed is that there are some countries people are from where being extremely close to you is normal, mm-hmm. which means two men can be extremely close together and very touchy-feely, but that doesn't mean that they are necessarily attracted to the, to mm-hmm. the other one. So I think that's a really good point. I think that there's there could be a cultural thing that we're not seeing of like, maybe it, it might be okay to be like that. With, if you're going to be like that with a woman, it might be okay to be like that with a man. Even like, like Shigure, I don't think he actually wants to have sex with Toru. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't trust that man. That's true. I don't trust that man. I don't trust that man. But like, I, I, I think that there is a possibility. Like, probably there's some cultural thing that just doesn't click in the way it would if we were from Japan. I think similarly to to you know Ritsu's gender expression, it re. I think it re. It may read differently to a Japanese audience than to I an agree. American audience in terms of like, this is acceptable in this way. Whereas like like the jokes made about like I don't know, it could be that there's an implicit no homo to everything that <laughs> Shigure says, right? And in America we just feel the need to actually say no homo. Whereas in, whereas to. to Japanese readers there's no need to say no homo. Like like we get it. I don't know. Like, and it could be different in um fuck, what are these comics called? Manga. Nope. I mean Roots yes. Basket. Nope. The 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 genre. Uh oh fuck flowers. And girl, uh, uh, fuck, <laughs> shoujo. shoujo. There may just be a difference, like literally, just in way in the ways this is, it's in shoujo versus mm-hmm. shojen, right? Sojen, uh, sho- shoujo versus shonen, shonen. So there may just be like a difference in that sense of mm-hmm. like it's okay, it, it is like this isn't weird within this genre, but it may not fit into others. So like right. there's just a lot of cultural things that it could that could be happening. Yeah. So, but the thing, the thing that gets me is it, it the the ending for every character is just so goddamn heteronormative. It really is. Um, and like with character, we'll get into Hatsuharu. I will have a brief I'm, discussion of Hatsuharu. But like, it really does feel like the natural place for every. Like, it it feels like a return to nature is a return to heteronormativity in a way that 
is disappointing to me, frankly. Like just how much they flirted. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I think the, the journey for, uh, for Ritsu into heteronormativity is at least somewhat balanced by Momiji's non-traditional gender expression when he's young, because it is an expression of joy. And Momiji doesn't end up with anyone. So yeah. I mean, although that is also tempered as he ages, right? He stops dressing so feminine. He keeps the, he keeps the rabbit backpack. That's great. But like it is somewhat tempered. As and I think he even says, I don't know if it's in the manga, but I think he even says in the anime, like it was time to grow up. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that while he doesn't use any clear words to describe himself, Hatsuharu has been in love with Yuki for much of his life. Like, and he yeah. says repeatedly in love with, it's yeah. not, I love Yuki as in like you are my family. It's I am in love with Yuki. Yeah. Which is and different. In the end, he's like, you'll still always be my first love. Yeah. Um, so I do wonder how much of Hatsuharu's sexuality comes with comes from playing with the light dark concept of a cow because cows have two colors. There's light and dark Haru, bisexual. Which they really just give that up after a while. They sure do. They're just like we're not going to deal with this anymore. Yeah, I just I feel with with Hatsuharu, like I love. I actually I really really like Hatsuharu. I, love, I would marry Hatsuharu. Yeah, he's so hot. Like, I, I know he's I know he's a child, but like he's and he so has the hot. voice of a thirty year old. Yeah, why does Hatsuharu sound that like that? Doesn't help. Like I'm just like I just I just absolutely love him. Like he, I love Kyo, but when it comes to like being attracted to someone, I'm attracted to Hatsuharu. Yeah, I just. I feel like there's some playfulness with regard to Hatsuharu being a cow and therefore being two colors and having a light and a dark side and then also being yeah. bisexual where I'm just kind of like, are you just playing with the idea of bi as a prefix um, as opposed to like really making bi Hatsu? Yeah. Are you, as opposed and, and I and even and I know this is not uh, but this was, you know, the 90s when this was written, the idea of Hatsuharu as bipolar in having to oh yeah the the flipping um, thought about that ups and downs uh thought i would have <laughs> but i didn't the so i just kind of wonder if there's a a playing with that concept of i would have flipping like now forth. that you me- mentioned like the bipolar mm-hmm. and like the like by of and like literally like two different colors yeah. of a cow and I, I mean the prefix by would not appear in J- in Japanese as such but yeah. the idea of light the dark same, yeah the same idea of by yeah um I think that is I never thought about that and as you're talking about I'm like I don't know and then but as you talk more about it, I'm like yeah no I think that is like there's a good question there yeah because he does blatantly say I'm in love with you Mm -hmm. and we don't really get that with anybody else yeah and it's not like like I'm I'm happy for Hatsuharu to be bisexual because like dang I wish I could get that it's just it's just one of those things where I'm like I don't know how much care was put into Hatsuharu as a character and his potential sexuality as as bisexual or pansexual or however you want to look at it um as opposed to just like haha funny cows often are too colors you know um the thing with Ritsu to return to Ritsu the thing with Ritsu is that I don't think he was created with any ill will you know I don't think that uh Takaya was trying to make any kind of statement about like oh you know pe- gender non-conforming people cross-dressers etc it all comes from a place of trauma um <laughs> nor do I think he is meant to be representative of a trans person nor any real honestly type of person at all I think there's just so much like like there's so much connection to gender yeah. and gender performance that I think it it does make sense for a character like Ritsu to be mm-hmm. in this. Just needed more care. Yeah. But I, I I think that's but that's why I think I agree. I don't think there was any like ill will when when yeah. creating this character. I just think that it made sense to have a character like it 
like this yeah when talking so much about gender and so much about femininity and masculinity and weakness it feels natural to have a character like this unfortunate that no time and unfortunately so fucking annoying <laughs> like Ritsu seems to me, like the rest of the Somas, to be a traumatized person dealing with their trauma in the best way that they figured out how to, you know? But yeah. unlike Hatsuharu or Ayame or Rin, that maps onto a real issue of gender and sexuality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't make it not transphobic, although that's probably not the word I would use to describe it. Um, but I think it's that... But I think it's worth examining whether the story is trying to make a mockery of trans people or whether it's doing something else. And I think it's the latter. I think that it may be transphobic by accident um i don't think it's intentionally so but it it's not not transphobic but it's also it's It's complicated it's complicated it's trying to it's trying to say something about gender and about ritsu's trauma and i think it's doing it poorly i think it's trying to say something without ever thinking about trans yeah that's the thing is i just don't know that that entered into takaya's mind whatsoever in the course of writing a long time ago the idea like there will be a lot of people who don't even know what trans is yeah there in i mean of course trans people have existed forever forever um but the the idea of transness in the 90s and i don't know anything about what this was like in japan but speaking you know again from an american perceptive perception there there was like people don't understand the difference between, you know, cross-dressing for, you know, sexual gratification, cross-dressing for the fun of it, drag, transness, like all of these things in the common consciousness were the same, you know? And so people, people did not understand the nuances of these conversations. And again, I can't speak for what the concept of this was in Japan, but it's it's one of those things where I'm just like you d- you did you did do something that I I think is transphobic. I understand you didn't do it intentionally. I and wish you cultural differences and there's cultural differences differences. I wish you would have put a little more care. Yeah, just a smidge more care into how you handled this character because I think I would have loved to see a Ritsu who instead of finding shame in in his gender expression embraces cross-dressing as an act of joy. It doesn't necessarily have to map clearly onto transness, but you can still find joy in an alternative gender expression. And I I would have loved to see a Ritsu who's just like, I feel beautiful in my kimono. I feel like there there was a missed opportunity between Ritsu and Ayume. Yeah. Of like... Em- embrace because Ayame doesn't feel that they're weak. No, Ayame loves the way that he dresses. Yeah, he, he feels beautiful. He feels beautiful. Yeah, and there is no weakness there. There's only strength. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that I that I would have hoped for from Ritsu's journey, but did not receive. And uh, Yuki could have learned so much from that. Yeah, situation. yeah. Um, the lack of overt queerness in this series does feel deeply strange because it plays so much with gender and sexuality in ways that might be taboo in media created elsewhere. But again, I wonder if we're bumping into a cultural difference here. <laughs> Maybe Fruits Basket is a com- is completely normative to a native Japanese audience. Yeah. I have no fucking idea. You know, like I, I just can't. I cannot make that. There's a, there's a lot of things where it's just like the age differences and stuff. Yeah, that's really hard. But then you have to think like that's not. <sighs> It's difficult for us to be mm-hmm. like, that's a really big age difference, a really young person. But mm-hmm. there are cultural differences in which you have to respect. Yeah. And that doesn't, again, like we talked about in the last episode, that doesn't mean that it's like, well, it's fine to do it there because it's normative. It just means we have to understand that there's a difference between taboo and criminal. Yeah. Right. Like what happens in the series 
uh, with a lot of the characters is literally criminal in the U.S. Yeah. And therefore we have a different concept of it than in Japan where it is not criminalized. Yeah. It's still taboo, but it's not criminal. Yeah. Um, and that's just something that you have to keep in mind when you're, Why you know. Why you want to date someone that young? I don't know. I They're don't. bonkers. I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> I was talking about this with Bob because he sh- he's like he was at the dentist and he was just waiting for the dentist and they were playing a song and the song starts with she was sixteen <laughs> and we were just talking, and he's like and I was like I just can't imagine dating someone that young he goes I I don't even know I he's like the idea of a sixteen year old alone is rough. no <laughs> I like. <laughs> nothing i when i used to i because i used to tutor middle and high schoolers and i'm like those are babies those are babies just the the reasonings like how they reason things Mm -hmm. it's just um i mean as a 16 year old you barely want to date a 16 year old yeah (laughs) yeah there's a reason you're like i gotta do someone older (laughs) um but I, I mean, well, honestly, we, we talked about this in our Twilight episode, and we'll talk about it again in our coming Eclipse episode. The, but like the fetishization of youth, I think, mm-hmm. is a real is a real um, mm-hmm. factor here. Um, it's just again, there there are cultural differences with differences with regard to like criminality and that kind of especially thing, especially in like manga mm-hmm. and like anime. Yeah, especially in that because there definitely there's there's this like stereotype that all anime is just sex. Yeah, which and is clearly not true. Big. Titties, which yeah. can definitely happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely have accidentally started watching. I'm like this seems cool. Witches, oh, they're not wearing anything. <laughs> and and yeah, I think I think I just think I think it's complicated. It and there's an element of of fantasy, tr- sure. I like true. Blah. There's an element of fantasy also. I think because a lot of the relationships that we're seeing in here between like May December romances are um, like with I think it's Katsuya and. Um, that that actually might be the Soma guy. Mm. I can't remember. Anyway, Kyoko and and her boy, the the adult man, Kyoko and her adult man. Um, that's a that's a May December romance, but that is a sort of wish fulfillment, right? Yeah. Well, and like she's uh, she's definitely still a kid, right? But she's still like mature in the world that she had to grow up in, right? So it does feel like he's still young. I mean, he's like twenty three, like twenty three years old, fucking dumb. Um, <laughs> so like it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel as bad to me. Um, but then again, I think the way in which she writes it, it definitely feel. I don't feel like I'm reading a fourteen year old. And you know, you know that it's safe. Like yeah, and you know it's safe. exactly. You know, like you know how the story is going to play out, and you know that it's safe, and so you're indulging in this safe fantasy of a May December romance, or yeah. like, but May December, but it's over like eight years. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have anything else to say about Ritsu? No, poor Ritsu. I know. I I just I really wish Ritsu was there. Was handled a lot better. of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so remember, Mary, when you asked me when we were recording the last episode, do you think that Akito seems more feminine in the second anime? <laughs> The answer is yeah. <laughs> I can finally answer you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing in the first anime that the creators simply didn't know where the story was going. And therefore, you have to have not known. Akito looked more masculine, was voiced by a male actor. Uh, since the 2019 anime started so long after the series finished, they had the awareness of the direction of the story and that the original anime lacked. That said, I kind of wonder if they were a bit too obvious. Yeah. Because my husband was like, oh, was that supposed to be a surprise? Yeah. <laughs> um, there is ambiguity in the manga because you can't hear anybody's voices, right? Mm-hmm. You can imagine them however you want. And I feel like 
Akito's voice is very feminine, even if it's deepened a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she needs to be successfully impersonating a man at all times, uh, but it seems like Toru's shock is a bit overboard because of how feminine Akito is in this adaptation. Yeah. Like, yeah, it would still be surprising, of course, um, but not nearly as shocking as in the original anime where I would have been like, what? But I can see Tor being shocked literally for other people. And there's other reasons too. We'll talk yeah. about it in a little bit with regard to like why Toru's reaction is the way it is. So we learn in the back half of this series from Kurino, um, Kurino is who I was thinking of, Katsuya, oh. uh, that Akito is in fact a woman raised as a man on the orders of her mother, Ren. Uh, Ren is an extremely abusive and toxic woman who hates that Akito's birth essentially robs her of attention she feels is her right. And her husband. And her husband. Um, we've There's some Oedipal shit. <laughs> Yeah. This, this series, colon, there's some edible shit. Oh my God. Um, we've seen throughout the series that giving birth to a member of the Zodiac can take serious mental tolls on mothers, right? Some of them remain okay, like Kagura's mother. Some can't handle it, like Momiji and Kyo's mothers. And some are cruel, like Yuki and Akito's mothers. There's an additional wrinkle here, too, because Akito is actually the god of the Zodiac story. So Akito, a girl, is born into what seems to be seen as a masculine role. And that role is to be worshipped by the people around her. Yeah. That really really doesn't set a person up for a normal relationship with others. No. Akito was not set up for success in life. No, especially that one servant lady. She's the worst. It's true. Um, so this is a quote from Thoughts on Fruits Basket and Toxic Motherhood by Jackson P. Brown, who writes, The main focus of Akito's hatred is women. She hates them. Her mother is the first woman she, woman she knew, and in some ways she internalizes that feminine rivalry that Ren is so good at, seeing other women as a challenge to her own importance, not wanting to come second, desiring the attention both familial and romantically of men, mm-hmm. a source of power and respect. So raised by a woman like Ren, raised in big quotes uh akito comes to internalize the hatred and resentment that ren feels toward other women uh including akito uh it's really not a surprise to me that akito embraces living as a man to some degree with her main touchstone for womanhood being ren who would want to embody that right like if your main if your main model for motherhood or for femininity is ren like yeah fuck i wouldn't want to be like ren either well and then when you inflict like pain and essentially cause weakness to other women, then you really are like, can't do that. And that she technically has the soul of a masculine figure. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a lot going on in Akito. Um, it reminds me of how Yuki feels about femininity and that his mother was cruel and his brother who is a man, but quite eccentric and feminine, therefore, you know, leading to Yuki's distrust of femininity. Akito Akito is really set up to have a fucking disastrous life. It just so happens that she follows in her mother's cruel footsteps rather than going in a radically different direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But because the Somas are so isolated from outside society and Akito more isolated and spoiled and influenced by the spirit of spirit of a literal God than most, it is not a surprise that she models her behavior off of what is expected of her and what she has already seen. Um, which is why Toru's kindness toward the Somas has such an impact, right? Many and even most of them have not experienced that level of selfless kindness before. They have only experienced like what they are owed as members of a family or in the sense of worship. Um, 
Some of them are doing okay. Momiji, for example, yep, that's doing about okay. It. Kagura, doing okay. Dude, gets a lot better. She gets better. Um, some of them are doing okay. Some of them have loving families, but many of them have not seen the kind of radical acceptance that Toru offers. When Tor- so when Toru shows Akito kindness, it is probably one of the first time in Akito's life that someone has been kind to her, not because it is their duty or because they are scared of her, but because they literally choose to show her kindness. And that's like the lesson. Akito needs to learn. Like, yeah. Kindness is a choice and it can be strength. Mm-hmm. Because it takes strength to stand up to to stand up with Akito and Akito knows that. And yeah. that's why he just keeps or she keeps just pushing people down. Yeah. Like, God forbid if anyone feels more strength than Akito. Yeah. That has an impact on Akito, even if the first impact is that Akito begins to hate her. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense. Yeah. And it's notable, too, how Akito chooses to denigrate Toru. Like, mm-hmm. the choices that she makes, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, um, without the context of Akito being a woman. Um, but Akito targets Toru with feminized insults, calling her ugly or a monster or disgusting. Like, making these statements about her that are clearly about her looks, even mm-hmm. if they are not entirely about her looks you know basically implying um that that toru is a being that should be repulsive rather Mm -hmm. than attractive which is to akito the most cutting remark that you can make about a woman um akito simply doesn't understand why anybody would choose toru over her when she's a literal god and she's scared of losing her power and therefore her connection with others to this teenage girl who is really nothing special at all like she she does not understand i'm a little i'm a literal god how could this nothing girl take my take my people away from me? She's a disgusting monster. That's how she chooses to knock her down. Which I think only adds to the fact that there really is there really is in the end there really is nothing special about Tor. She doesn't break the curse. No. She's not she's not like some mystical being. She is mm-hmm. just a girl who loves hard. Mhm. And I think that 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 makes Akito's um story and eventual lesson learned more impactful. I totally agree. Um, This is a quote from Love, Sex, and Power in Fruits Basket, which is by Sarah Connor, who writes, Akito's relationship with Shigure also... I'm I'm so sorry. Shigure also illuminates the manga's themes surrounding love, sex, and power, precisely because it is so different from her relationship with Kurano. Unlike Kurano's feelings of intermingled compassion, pity, and pseudo-paternal love for a quote-unquote sobbing little girl, Shigure expressly sees Akito as an adult. When Shigure's editor... When, she, when Shigure's editor sees Akito at a family event and observes that she looks very young, Shigure corrects her, offhandedly remarking that Akito is actually in her 20s. Additionally, he tells Ren that he is attracted to her because she looks how Akito might have looked if she were allowed to live as a woman. This is explicitly sexual and focused on Akito as an adult rather than as a child. This difference helps to establish their relationship as one between equals, even when it's at its most dysfunctional. Shigure also refuses to allow Akito emotional control over him. She mm-hmm. repeatedly refers to him as cold or cruel, eventually admitting that this is largely because he is not afraid of her. Even with someone she genuinely loves, sex is a negotiation of power for Akito, an attempt to maintain control of the future regardless of what of anyone else's desires. So again, Akito doesn't seem able to even comprehend a relationship that isn't based on control and power Mm -hmm. and not in like a healthy negotiated way, which, you know, which can happen. (laughs) Like you can negotiate a relationship of power dynamics. That's not what's going on with Akito. Um, Establishing her as an adult is really important because we need to understand that her behavior is not the result of being a child, right? Akito does not have the excuse of, say, Kyo or... Or um, hero, 
Hero, thank you. The kid that I just despise. I'm so sorry. He tries though. He does try. He gets better, but oh my god, I couldn't I could not handle early hero. Um we need to understand that Akito is making choices. Um, although she and many of the Zodiac adults are childish, they are not children, right? They may behave immaturely, but that does not make them children. Um, there is no excuse of a lack of life experience to explain Akito's actions. Yes, she has been isolated. Yes, she doesn't really see other people, but she is capable of making decisions. Yeah. Um, Shigure not pursuing Akito reads to her as cold and cruel because she is accustomed to being the object of desire. Not necessarily sexual desire, but she is she is used to being loved for being who she is or feared. I don't know that she can tell the difference between love yeah. and fear. And it's still only just exasperated that he had sex with her mom. Yeah. It's just the Which worst. It's interesting because like when you think back on um Reen, who also very much looks like um what Akito mm-hmm. would look like, and Reen tries to come off, come on to uh, Shigure, mm-hmm. and I was, I was, that happened. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> and then if you find out they did not sleep together, I really thought that they, did. Uh, yeah, I did too. I really thought they did, and I was just like, first of all, whoa, second of all, how dare you to Hatsu? Like, how dare you? <laughs> how, like, come on, look at the two of them. How could you even <laughs> compare? Um. As the Soma god, everybody should want Akito in Akito's mind, right? She's god, therefore everybody should want to be around her. While this essay points out that Shigure accepts her advances but does not pursue her himself, that is not enough for Akito. Mm -hmm. Accepting advances is not the same as active desire, which Akito feels that she is owed. Shigure does, however, express desire for Toru, no doubt adding to Akito's hatred for her. Like, Like, Shigure is like constantly hitting on Toru. I think it's just because he thinks Bruh. it's funny. I don't know. I like Shigure is the most manipulative. Um, but I think that's part of the manipulation of like he's, towards Akito. He's playing every character like a fucking fiddle. And he admits it. He does. At first, you just think that he's a weirdo. Like once you know that he's really manipulative. Like, because I, I knew. I can't remember if I read a spoiler or something. But having to do with like um, Shigure being manipulative. And you go back and you watch the beginning mm-hmm. and you're like bro <laughs> everything is calculated bro <laughs> which makes me d- it does make me feel like that the hitting on toru was only meant to make akito even more angry i think it's to make everybody angry but i also d- i also don't know uh i don't know that he'd say no to toru yeah i i don't know that he isn't also interested you know i think he he likes um i think he just likes the ladies you he know? does love the young ones. High school girls. Yeah, just <laughs> something else. Um, this is another quote from Love, Sex, and Power in Fruits Basket by Sarah Connor, who writes, Akito's relationships with Kureno and Shigure, the rooster and dog respectively, reveal how damaging her approach to power as well as romantic and sexual intimacy is for herself and others. This unspools the series' core themes, illuminating the ways in which love, sex, and power are in- inextricably entangled. Only once Akito lets go of her role as God, accepting both her powerlessness over over others and her power over her own destiny can she enter into a relationship born of mutual desire rather than power and control so i'm sure that prior to the curse breaking akito wanted things presumably akito had wants but it's hard to say whether she wanted anything that also wasn't tied up in her desire for control and what she saw is rightfully hers right i i just have a hard time believing that she didn't like that she that that was always there yeah because it was just like 
instilled in her by her father mm-hmm. and by her awful nanny. And the fact that like everybody's crying. Everyone's crying. Yeah. And like despite being awful, there's there's like this clear um like even with Kyo, Kyo it's ha- has a hard time like standing up mm-hmm. to Akito like cuz there is this connection um that no one can understand mm-hmm. unless they are part of the zodiac. Right. And I think much of this desire for control and power is gendered, too. Um, Akito is violent and domineering when dealing with the younger members of the family who see her as God. When she's dealing with Shigure, uh, who is older and an object of desire for her, she doesn't seem as likely to lash out physically. She does, but she doesn't. It's not her first move Mm -hmm. as it is with the younger so much. It's more of like, how dare you treat me? I'm so weak. Um, This isn't universally true. She does hurt Hattori's eye. And he's also older than her. Um, she scratches Shigure. Like, it's not that she does not lash out physically. It's only that it doesn't seem to be her first move. Um, but even that could arguably arguably said to become to come from romantic jealousy, right? It kind of feels like, you know, when someone hits on you and they're all nice and then you're like, no, thank you. And like, well, you're a bitch anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if Akito isn't attracted to Hattori the way Hattori and his girlfriend are attracted to one another, the fact remains that Akito is jealous of the intrusion of a woman into what Akito sees as the place she ought to occupy, right? It's not necessarily that she wants to be uh, Hattori's girlfriend, but it is like this woman is taking up, you know, some of your desire that should be on me. Yeah. And like there has like the jealousy of just simply I don't get to live that life. Right. And like that's taken away from me and therefore I must take it away from you. Yeah. That's only fair because I'm God. Yeah. And again, just so much of this, even if it's not explicitly gendered, is still gendered to be the object of of desire is itself you know, a bit gendered. Yeah. Um, especially because again, Akito to all of the younger Somas is a man. Yeah. Um, and, and the end we see Akito tends to lash out the most when they find a partner. Yes. And to lash out physically at the younger Somas who don't know that she's a woman and tends to respond primarily with, um, scratches, which are more of a feminine, attack yeah. toward the toward the somas that do in fact know that she is a woman there's like there's play there's not playfulness in like a positive way but there's like a there's something coded in the way that she interacts with these characters Subtle coding yeah so akito's a mess do you have anything else to say about akito before we get into the next section where we'll talk more about akito akito i really loved akito's story the only thing the only complaint i have about akito's story is it does feel like suddenly he's good or she's good mm-hmm. suddenly like Toru, because of Toru, um, is so magical and changing people. Akito magically is better. We'll we'll but talk I a little bit about this. Do appreciate is that not everybody accepts that? Yes, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next section, which is on manipulation and trauma. Two two really lighthearted topics. Um, on the surface, Fruits Basket is a cute little comedy playing with reverse harem dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, once you get past that surface, it's, it is a melancholy but ultimately hopeful series about healing from intergenerational trauma. It's quite impressive that they're yeah. able to take this absolutely god fucking damn depressing story and still feel hopeful. Yeah, which is why a character like Toru is so needed and yeah. so necessary because without Toru, fuck. Yeah, 
Uh, though we have a magical explanation for why these characters relate to one another the way that they do and why that causes problems for them, the bigger problems for the Soma family specifically come from their upbringing in an isolated, abusive family community, right? They, the parents tend to be absent or abusive, with a few exceptions, uh, and that causes trauma for the various members of the Zodiac, some of which we discussed above or earlier, because you're not looking at an outline. You're listening to a podcast in which time passes. Um, even when you have one of like the, you know, quote unquote, good sets of parents, there is still potential for trauma. Um, mm-hmm. Intergenerational trauma as a term refers to trauma that is passed down through families, often stemming from a long ago source that nobody necessarily remembers. Right. For example, if you come from a family whose ancestors fled as refugees from a crisis, the descendants may have habits, fears, emotions and other things that negatively affect you. If an ancestor was subject to intense food insecurity, they may hoard food, for example, right? And you may be raised with with a relative who hoards food in a way that reads as abnormal. Um, If a relative was abused, they may not be abusive themselves, but may develop coping mechanisms or tendencies like hypervigilance, anxiety, substance abuse, and so on, which in turn affect the child. Um, In the case of Fruits Basket, we have some magical influence, right? But the state of the Soma family can largely be traced back to the original story of the Zodiac. Not the one that we're told at the beginning, but the true one. Another one that made me sob like a fucking baby. (laughs) Um, We learn in the end of the story that the version of the Zodiac myth we've been told, the one where the rat tricks the cat into not attending a banquet, is inaccurate. In, in fact, God befriended the animals, and when the cat came to the end of its life, he created a magic potion that would keep them alive forever and forced the cat to drink it without explaining what it was going to do. The cat resented this, but having already drank it, was doomed to be resurrected eternally like the rest of them. Um, the cat was like, no, it is natural to die, and I want to experience death. I want, I want to be able to appreciate the beauty of life in its, in its briefness and not have you turn uh have um immortality forced upon me uh and this led to animosity between the cat and the rest of the zodiac as well as the god over time this animosity changed but the point remains the same god wants all of the zodiac animals to be nearby and friendly and when they stray that is taken as a personal offense therefore you must turn into a digimon therefore you must turn into a digimon (laughs) i still like that part of like turns into a monster is still like it works for the story, but I still don't quite understand why necessary. I, yeah, I think that, I don't know. I, that, I don't feel that that was necessarily fully explained, but, um, I assume it's just God having revenge on the cat for, yeah, that's what I assume. But I do think it served, it served its purpose well in creating the relationship with Kyo and Toro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God wants everything to stay the same forever and the cat does not. No matter which version of this story you hear, it becomes clear how intergenerational trauma can mm-hmm. happen, especially for the cat. I'm curious if other gods like Akito, were so awful like Akito. Like I know there were a lot of outside influences to, mm-hmm. to Akito as well, but I wonder if there's a natural tendency to because especially because like the god in the story that we're told doesn't necessarily feel like vengeful or evil but also the cat turns into a monster i yeah i think what happened i think that probably the soul of the god is angry at the cat and that anger intensifies over generations yeah so are other gods are other iterations of akito awful i think so i mean they were locking the cat in a prison this is true so <laughs> they didn't they didn't seem like particularly nice people this is true um but his dad seemed pretty her dad seemed pretty cool but he wasn't the god. He wasn't? I thought he was. I don't think so. Oh, JK. I could be wrong. I think I, he was head of the Soma family, but not God. 
Oh, okay. Oh, cause, yeah, because they say Akito the head of the family, so maybe that's where I got mixed up, and that's why he's head. Like, he, yeah. anyways, yeah. I yeah, I'm not. I don't know that Akito was was God, but I, I he was head of the family. Um, so I think there's because this is the only time that all the members of the zodiac have been alive at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe there was not a God in the previous generation, hmm. but I could be wrong. There, I think there's a prequel out there somewhere. Um, with the second version of the story, we see that there is a more toxic relationship between the God and the Zodiac animals as well. The God didn't want them to leave. And and even if they consent to staying, their descendants and reincarnations did not. Right. Um, the God's actions have trapped them in a cycle of love and resentment, which is demonstrated very effectively in the scene where we first see Yuki meet Akito. He starts crying. And then there's an overlapping series of voices in his head saying things like, I hate you. I love you. Like he, Yuki doesn't get to have his own feelings about mm-hmm. Akito because they're o- he's always going to be torn between the rat's feelings and his own. Um, so while each character has their own unique experience, some of which have been quite dramatic for Kyo, Momiji, Rin, and Yuki, for example, they also have this shared intergenerational trauma of codependency mm-hmm. with the Zodiac God because the Soma family is so isolated from the outside, it is quite difficult to es- escape that, which is where Toru comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a quote from Hondu Tora and the Strength of Nurturing, which is by Caitlin Moore. Unconditional love and acceptance is hard work. Caretaking is hard work. Takaya even makes it clear within the narrative that caring for others is a learned skill. Toru describes how her mother, Kyoko, would say that people aren't naturally kind. We come into this world only knowing our own wants and needs and only learn to overcome their own instincts over years of growth. To be fair, Toru seems to have a preternatural talent for it, able to heal the Soma's intergenerational trauma with her soothing presence. That makes her similar to any given scrappy shonen hero with some great destiny or unusual potential to fill. Now, one thing to know here is that it's quite possible that the curse would have broken without Toru because mm-hmm. all of the Zodiac members are alive at the same time, right? That is the, That feels like that's what happens. That that's is what, what breaks the curse. It is not Toru. But even if the curse had broken, it's Toru's selfless love that allows all of these characters to develop views of themselves and alternate ways of relating to people, mm-hmm. right? Yes, the curse might have broken, but would they have been living as good of lives without Toru's influence? Like, I think, too, it allowed them to process them. Because, like, I thought what the show did really well is um, when the curse breaks, the the difficulty there is in mourning the loss of something that was abusive. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I think without Toru, that would have been much more difficult, especially for someone like Yuki, mm-hmm. to deal with. Um, so, so it really does feel like that, that selflessness, even though Tor doesn't feel like a store of like, I'm a selfish person because yeah. I want this. Um, I think without that though, it would have been so much harder for mm-hmm. a lot of them to, to cope with yeah. what's going on. especially because you'd be like, there are, there's no other good in the world. So what's the point? Right. Like they may not have been forced to turn into animals anymore, but they would not have had as many skills to handle being free of that curse as they do without her influence. Exactly. Yeah. Because like, I like, listen, we're all, all of us are carrying around some form of trauma, some more, some more intensely than others. Right. We're all, but we're all carrying around the effects of the environment that we live in, the effects mm-hmm. of the, the, environment that we grew up in we're carrying the effects as much as you know we're carrying individual personal traumas we're also carrying carrying the effects of growing up under capitalism under mm-hmm. um econo- uh, uh, under ecological disaster like Fuck. all of these things are weighing on us and are causing us to act in different ways um if we don't experience love or caretaking it is hard it is even harder for us 
to escape the desire to inflict our negative emotions on others, mm-hmm. right? It is that is genuinely hard. It I is mean, not easy. It is why the relationships around you when you grow up are so important. Yeah. So I actually really, really like that Toru does not break the curse. I, I am yeah, so, so glad great. that she didn't do it. Um, I also kind of like that the curse just breaks without anybody really doing anything. It well, just breaks because it breaks. It's also I feel like it's really important and was very purposeful that Toru didn't do it because then Toru would just be a next god that they that they right. are bound to. Yes. It, there's the it just nobody has to do anything nobody gets credit for it because the yeah. curse while certainly a factor in the trauma is not entirely to blame for how everybody acts mm-hmm. right without it they are better able to heal but that ability also comes from Toru's compassion and what they've learned from her not just because now they can hug people yeah um this is another quote here from love sex and power in fruits basket by sarah connor who writes kurino and akito's relationship is framed as that of an addict and enabler as kurino offers kindness but fails to ever enforce consequences for bad behavior in this way kurino's relationship with akito bears more similarity to the other parent-child relationships we see throughout the manga indulgent to a fault but also consistent and unconditionally supportive both qualities fruits basket depicts as crucial to a parent-child relationship I think the relationship between Kuruno and Akito and Toru and the rest of the Zodiac can't go unremarked upon. <laughs> when interacting with Kuruno, Toru, Toru sees how beat down and resigned he is. Mm-hmm. He keeps giving and giving to Akito and getting nothing in return. He only lives for Akito. Which only makes the fact that he won't go to her friend like, yeah. even worse. Throughout, we have seen that sometimes we need another person to affirm us, right? Or if we can't find a reason to live for ourselves, another person will do, right? If we cannot for ourselves live, it is okay to find somebody else to live for. As long as we live. As long as we live. But just like both Kyoko and Kyo remind Toru that it's okay to be a little selfish, Kurino serves as a warning about a potential future for for um, Toru. One in which she barely has a life because she has dedicated it to others. Her shock in their conversation is as much about the reveal that Akito is a woman as it is about the horror of this potential future for herself, where in in deciding to live so completely for another person, she lets that other person completely subsume her. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is an important lesson to learn in the end when she has to acknowledge like she loves someone more than her missing mm-hmm. her mom. Yes. Um notably after this point. We see Toru doing more to pursue the things that she wants, including allowing Kyo to understand that she has been hurt. Yeah. She doesn't just immediately forgive Kyo. (sighs) So good. Um, This this quote also mentions that Kurino plays an almost parent-like role to Akito because of his indulgence and unconditional support of her, which Connor says that Fruits Basket sees as crucial in a parent-child relationship. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that, but I also don't have the evidence to disagree um in fruits basket we really only see parents who are unconditionally supportive such as kyoko and parents who are totally neglectful such as momiji's mother um i think some consequences from kureno might have actually helped akito (laughs) just a smidge um though i'm not sure kureno is capable of enforcing them uh, the really black and white parental relationships are one area where I feel like the series is lacking. Yeah. Uh, probably because parents are either absent or the children are already kind. Well, it's also really difficult to me with the parent relationship with Kurino when they had sex. Yeah. Um, one exception would be Hiro and his mother Satsuki, but we barely see them interact. I love Hiro's mom. She's just like, <laughs> he's like, I can't hold the baby. And she's like, I'm here. Like, I'll catch you both. And I'm just like, why can't everybody 
have like why can't they all be as good as mm-hmm. here and even Kagura's mom is very yeah. very kind takes in Rin and is just like you know life is hard mm-hmm. uh, this is another quote from Thoughts on Fruits Basket and Toxic Motherhood by Jackson P. Brown who writes the scene between Akito and Kurino is heartbreaking she small and fragile and still a child screaming at him eyes overflowing begging him not to leave her and Kurino a tween at this time perplexed and scared and concerned for Akito's health here we see that Akito's sense of self-worth is all in the zodiac without it she is nothing and every evil thing her mother said to her suddenly holds merit she is unable to see that her father loved her because she was born instead she believes that she is only worthy of love because she is the heir of his position she is lauded and revered by the family aides because she is the god of the zodiac Soma by herself is nothing and thus begins her descent into hatred mirroring her own mother's abuse Akito spreads the, spends the rest of her life abusing the zodiac so one thing to know about abuse is that there's this common narrative that abuse is cyclical right if you experience abuse as a child you are doomed to become an abuser yourself that isn't true this is demonstrated <laughs> this is harmful thought this is harmful this is destructive especially to victims of abuse um it can be it can be true in that it happens just sure. like it could be true when it you weren't abused. Yes. Um, but abuse can cause a number of results in people. Akito is not doomed to because an, become an abuser because she was abused as a child. Between the abuse and the literal, the literal God complex, uh, she certainly has a toxic recipe for becoming an abuser, right? But she still makes choices. She is not absolved of any culpability in becoming a, an abuser because, just because she was abused and just because she is literally a God. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to know that she does come from an abusive background. It helps us understand that there are two parts of her both of which are hurting, especially when we learn the actual story of the Zodiac, right? Mm-hmm. Which is itself a story of rejection. And she's carrying this this like generation upon generation of what the original God would have seen as rejection um, and the pain of that. She is broken on several levels and everybody indulges her bad behavior because they don't know what else to do, right? Mm-hmm. They simply don't have the tools to get outside of this toxic codependent relationship they have with the God of the Zodiac. And for her, we may feel some empathy as we learn that she was raised by someone who hates her so much that she wouldn't even let her live as her own gender. Yeah. Um, the person who ought to have nurtured her rejects and hates her. And therefore, the only model she has of positive behavior is being the object of worship, yeah. which is just not a good way to live. And Cardinal even like w- is more important to Akito in, in the fact of the bond is broken mm-hmm. and it needs to be, that's not the only reason you're still here. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you leave just because it's broken, that means my mother is even more correct. Right. So poor Colonel. Yeah. And this is where Toru and their first interaction come in. It's literally the first time that Akito has experienced unconditional love, right? She doesn't change in that moment, in that moment when she is holding Toru's hair Toru is kneeling before her and, and still expressing kindness toward her, even as she's physically threatened. Um, she does not change in that moment. Right. Um, and she actually continues to get worse. <laughs> she hates Toru, even though she was the one to show her a different way of living, but it's Toru's influence that frees the other Zodiac members from Akito's rule. Right. And that moment of compassion from Toru sets a model that Akito can begin to follow if she chooses. Something that we touched, that we kind of touched on in the previous episode, but that we weren't able to fully expand on is that while it can be frustrating that characters like Toru so easily and apparently naturally slip into the role of mother slash nurturer, which matches with gendered expectations, that doesn't necessarily make the character bad or even stereotypical. Um, I argued very briefly that because the series is so interested in masculinity and femininity, 
femininity such a hard word to say that's misogyny is the fact yeah. that it's so hard to say femininity um, <laughs> because the series is so interested in masculinity and femininity and the possibilities for nurturing and radical compassion it actually feels like much of fruits basket is about untangling misogyny from trauma and cultural teachings about women and femininity now that we've made it to akito i think we can look at that more closely mm-hmm. because ren and akito have some pretty horrible ideas about femininity ren seems to believe that any power she has comes from being a woman in terms of like being like sexually available or well, it raised her status too so yeah. like it makes sense that that only embraces that um that feeling and then you have akito born into a privilege that akito didn't have to work for and mm-hmm. everyone loves akito everyone loves everyone loves <laughs> quote unquote akito. akito um And so therefore Ren is jealous of Akito and forces her to live as a man. Ren's main touchstone for what a, sorry, Akito's main touchstone for what a woman is, is Ren who treated her terribly and gave Akito the idea that women are weak, selfish, and abusive or failing that subservient to her as the God of the Zodiac or just sexual beings or just sexual beings. I don't think the series gets uh, into a ton of Akito's healing, but things start to shift with Toru's involvement and Akito becomes increasingly unhinged before she finally starts to accept that her bonds with the Zodiac spirits are dissolving and that she's also being hurt by her reliance on their presence as validation. Um, she's a, she's about to accept Toru's hand in friendship before Toru falls off the cliff, um, which is a wild plot twist, but whatever. Uh, they set it up they set it up season one though they did and they and it was raining so the cliff is a little is a little shaky it's it's it's, uh it's set up we're getting we got there it was just it was just a little like now (laughs) is when she's you know uh that that marks a huge degree of growth for akito and it's not surprising that following that we see her relationship with shigure uh deepen into one that's more mutual and less manipulative and she starts living as a woman in a way that suits her Frankly, it's kind of nuts that the next time she meets Toru, they really do hold hands and smile at each other. Like Akito absolutely wasn't thinking of stabbing her, but whatever. It makes sense for Toru to do that. Yeah. People (laughs) in the series turn into animals. So how fucking critical can I be of this unreliable, this unreasonable turn of events? But I, but I mean, I feel like there is something to say for the, um, Azuluness of her, of her breakdown to like, when you have a breakdown, the radical, um, come to jesus moment that you have afterwards Mm -hmm. i could see that yeah but i do still feel like it was just so sudden it was sudden the thing i the thing i like and the thing that makes me not feel bad about the ending in terms of like as you as you said nobody has to forgive akito yeah what the biggest sign to me of akito's growth as a character is not anything she says but rather the fact that she chooses not to go to, I think it's a banquet that yeah. she she chooses not to go. She realizes that her actions have hurt those people so much that she willingly chooses to isolate herself from them because she doesn't want to inflict any more pain. That to me is the biggest sign yeah. of growth. Not her being friends with Toru, not being upset that Toru falls off the cl- None of that fucking matters. What matters to me is that Akito realizes the harm that she has done and chooses to remove herself and put other people and their healing before her own. Yeah, I would agree. That to me, that to me is what made me not feel bad about like, and Akito is redeemed. It's like, she's fucking not redeemed. Yeah. And I think, um, Reen, uh, right. Reen. Reen refuses to forgive her. Yeah. And I, and I so appreciate that. Yeah. I loved Reen so much. Akito fucking fucking pushed her out a window. 
Yeah, and then trapped her where the cat's supposed to be trapped forever. Yeah. Essentially, it's like, let her starve to death. Yeah. And like, cuts off her hair. And it's just like, there's no there's no world that she should um, no. say, like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, no. And and what matters to me about that is that Reen is not, it like, the story does not, like, demonize Reen for refusing mm-hmm. to forgive her. Nor does it say that Akito is beyond redemption. Because the, the fact that Akito does not go to the banquet or whatever it is, it's been a bit since I finished the series. Um, the fact that Akito chooses not to go is a sign of growth. It is not the end, right? Akito is not like, oh, she's Done. all better now. <laughs> no, it's, Check. it's just the fact that like she was willing to think of other people's well-being before her own. And that is a sign of growth. Yeah. Um, and just to emphasize, Akito inherits the generational trauma inflicted on her by her parents and everyone like, quote unquote, beneath her in the Zodiac hierarchy inherits that trauma as well. Kyo is destined to be locked up because nobody thinks to break the tradition. Right. It's lit- like literally. Like, why? Like, no, it's just everybody's just like, well, that's how it's done. Why? Um, Yuki is psychologically abused because that's how things work in this family. Momiji is basically abandoned by his family because nobody knows how to deal with the repercussions of giving birth to a Zodiac child without wiping memories. Everyone is suffering under the weight of this intergenerational trauma, no matter how good their own life may be. Even Hiro, who has a supportive mother, has had to deal with believing himself responsible for Akito hurting Kisa. There is literally no healthy family life in the Soma family. I feel like um, Encanto does this really well. I haven't seen that. (laughs) There's a lot of generational trauma going on. Mm -hmm. It's like what the whole story is about. Right. Not as like devastating as this, (laughs) but still, if you want some more of that flavor of story, Mm -hmm. it does it really well. Yeah. Um, This is a quote from 2D Boys 3D Desire. It's a critical fan's primer to romance, sexuality, and gender in shoujo manga, anime, and otome video games, which is by Catherine M. Rondazzo, who writes... But unlike other shoujo series, Fruits Basket examines the ramifications of the curse on members of the family afflicted. It quickly becomes clear as the plot continues that what appeared to be a reverse harem setup is, in fact, a love triangle between Yuki, Kyo, and Toru with other side with other side characters' romantic plots on the, si- on the side. Between Yuki and Kyo, the cat and the rat, the hothead and the icy prince, is, in other words, natural rivals, Toru gravitates to Kyo where, while Yuki learns to grapple with his intense platonic love for Toru, learning to recognize it as such. It's almost funny to me how the series seems to start off with a love triangle premise. Like, who's Toru going to end up with? You hear Kyo. And by the end of roughly the first arc where you learn about Kyo's true form, it is pretty clear where it's headed and as far as who's going to be with Toru. Keep hitting it home. Yes. They just keep hitting it home. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Yeah. And while I love Kyo and Toru together, the romance takes a backseat later in the series. And I really like that. Romance is not necessarily a way out of trauma, and it does get tiring that romance is almost universally the endpoint to a lot of stories like this. Like, once you are out of the traumatic situation, the greatest sign of healing is having a partner. Um, I think the series actually did a really good job of showcasing a variety of relationships, with Yuki admitting that his feelings for Toru are platonic, being one I really, really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um We did briefly discuss this in the last episode, but platonic relationships are often undervalued in media, even though they can be just as rich and dramatic as romantic ones. Especially between men and women. Yeah. 
Um, it often feels like media like this suggests that friendships is a friendship is a shallower version of romance, but in reality, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And I think that despite the emphasis on romance as an ending for most of these characters, there's also an appreciation for platonic relationships. Um, not only is Toru basically everyone's BFF through sheer force of will, uh, <laughs> but you also see the profound impact that accepting platonic love has on Yuki, not only through Toru, but through his friends on the student council, right? They have such an impact on on Yuki that even Toru doesn't have because partly because his feelings for her are confused. Yeah. Um, uh, Toru is great for showing him that he's deserving of love as all people are, but his friends really push him out of his comfort zone, especially because they don't revere him the way yeah. that so many people at school do. Or, um, what's his, his friend? Um, the Kakeru. Dude, yeah. Does, but in a very, very, very different way. Yeah. I wish they would have kissed. I, I'm not, I mean, they probably did. I w- we can only hope. Yeah, it just didn't. It d- it didn't make the cut. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he moved in with both of them. Mm-hmm. But it's a little weird because they're half siblings. Yeah. But you know, you know, it's not the weirdest thing that happens yeah. for Vasquez. It happens, I guess. Yeah, I I just the the really the, the way that it handles trauma is not perfect, right? But the series I think does a very good job of talking about intergenerational trauma. And the effects that it has without necessarily like absolving anybody of culpability nor entirely blaming anybody because Akito is horribly abusive. Akito to me is unforgivable. I agree. But also, especially throwing someone out of fucking yeah, girl. Uh, but I understand you can understand why she acts that way. And the fact that at the in the end, she chooses not to inflict that on anybody else is a sign of growth. Yeah. I don't have to forgive her. Reen doesn't have to forgive her. Kyo doesn't have to forgive her. No. But she doesn't need she they don't need her in their life. And they don't and she doesn't need them in her life to grow into a better person. Yeah. That's like the best you can hope for yeah. for somebody who's abusive yeah. is I hope you grow into a better life that does not fucking include me. And it, it it's difficult to make that choice of to do it better, especially when you have like um, Akito's stupid nanny who I think only, I don't know if it happened in the anime, but in the manga, she's like, how dare you not be awful? Yeah. And Akito's like, well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I think that it's really effective in conveying that it is, it is not perfect. Again, there, there are things about the story that I, that maybe didn't age super well mm-hmm. or that are too neat and tidy or that are extremely heteronormative. Yeah. Um, but I think the the core story about kindness and about the radical capability of compassion about intergenerational trauma, I think are still very, very effective. Um, even, you know, now like 30 years after the manga started coming out. Um, one last section here. And I think like we had so much to say about gender and trauma that I don't think this got the, like this is quite a short section comparatively. Um, is how much this series is about choosing to live despite the horrible, horrible, horrible shit that you're undergoing. Poor Toru lives in a fucking tent because her mother died. She lives in a fucking tent in the woods. Um, And she has family to live with. Yes. But they're so awful. Yeah. It's better to live in the tent. Yeah. Kyo literally turns into a monster and is destined to be put into an isolated prison for his entire life. And he's just like, I'll just appreciate the time I have with Toru. Yeah. 
Ritsu hates herself so much. She is w- she is ready to jump off a building. And they and this is n- it was it's very clear it's not the first time. Yeah. Like th- there is a lot of why am I even alive in this series? Like what like everybody is fucking struggling with a reason to stay alive in this. You got yeah, lots of lots of awful things. Yeah. And so there's a lot going on in Fruits Basket. We've talked about themes like disentangling femininity and feminine coded traits from misogyny, abuse, and healing from trauma and so on. But one thing we have not really discussed that pops up again and again is the series of having a or the the theme of having a reason to live. Um Many characters throughout the series express, if not a desire to die, a desire to escape their circumstances and end their suffering, right? There's just, there's a lot of fucking suffering. Every, there's so much suffering well, in the series. Well, even like with the parents, like, mm-hmm. we, have two, we have one suicide and one attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and God knows what else. So it's like, it's not just the Zodiac. No, it, it everybody is, su- everybody's fucking suffering. Um, and they do suffer a lot. Ritsu goes so far as to climb up on the roof and declare himself a burden that he wants to rid from the world. Um, but Toru doesn't let Toru doesn't let him do that. She says it's it is okay to find whatever reason you need to keep on living, and it's enough if that reason is another person. Like that, just that itself, I think, is so freeing. The idea that like it is okay to find any reason you need to keep living. It doesn't matter what that reason is. It can be spite if you want. It can be that you want to make another person happy. Just live. It can be because you want to see what's going to happen on the next episode of your TV show. It could be because tomorrow is going to be better. Like literally any reason is a good enough reason. Um and it's a theme that comes up repeatedly throughout the story, such as the conversation about Kisa needing validation from others and, and that being okay. It is not, if you, you know, there's like that um, joke, like the, I think it's the barefoot Contessa who's always like, if you, if you don't have your own homegrown rosemary, it's store-bought is fine. You know, if you don't have your own self-love, somebody else's is fine. <laughs> it's okay to, it's okay to accept love from other people. Um, Especially that, while you're trying to find love for yourself. Right. Um, that's reaffirmed many times with Toru caring for Kyo despite his monstrous form and the, eff- the effect that that has on it. He's literally never met anybody who A, knows about his monstrous form and is willing to care for him despite it, especially because she's like literally fighting off nausea. Yeah, because he smells bad. Yeah, and fear. Like she, is, she chooses to love him despite seeing literally the most horrifying version of him. And she says, I, you know what? I, I fucking love you anyway. She would never say fuck. Um, I love you anyway, even though you turn into a big smelly monster. I still love you. Um, and if so this is why it, it fucking killed True me. True love. It fucking killed me that she picked up those beads and put them on her shrine. Like we're not like she's what she's saying with that gesture is like, I still love that part of you. I still that part of you is still important to me enough that it goes on the shrine with the hat and the picture of my mom. Like it's part of our story. We're not free of this monstrous form because that monstrous form is still you and I still love it. She isn't willing to throw it in the garbage, even though Kyo doesn't want to see it anymore. She's like, I still love, I still love that. I still, I still care about that part of you because it made you who you are. Exactly. Um, and I think she can realize that while Kyo wants, and I think Kyo says this in the, in the manga, like while Kyo wants nothing to do with the beads now, there will be a time in which he'll be appreciative that she kept them. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it kills me. I'm going to cry again. Um, 
you know, how Yuki comes out of his shell because his friends care for the person that he is. Um, and even in the end, how Akito isolates herself from the rest of the Zodiac, but she still has love for Shigure, right? Um, real uncoerced love replaces the need she had for validation from the Zodiac. There's just like this, the series is really concerned with trauma and the effects that trauma has and how that can like strip you of your desire to live. And this series is like any reason will do <laughs> any of them. It's fine. Take your pick. Live for live for your friend. Live for, you know, the person you love. Live okay. because it might get better. It doesn't matter. Live Just keep leaks. living. Live for leaks. Live to hate leaks. <laughs> live out of spite. Live to make leaks you hate. Live because you might beat up your cousin someday. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever the reason is, it's a good enough reason to keep living. Um, so despite there being a lot of sad things throughout the series, it ends up being quite hopeful because of that. It's literally like, yeah, the world fucking sucks. You are subject to this cruel God who might shove you out a window. But you know what? Other people love you and you're deserving of love anyway. So stick around. Because yeah, Hatsu and he's hot. <laughs> Hatsuharu is here. He's hot. Um, I love a cow. I love a cow. Uh, there's reasons to keep living no matter how awful it is. And that is that is like really the core of the series to me. And that I think is what keeps it from despite the fact that it is quite depressing and quite sad um and too real for being a story about people turning into animals um it manages to not be depressing because of that because it is like it acknowledges the fact that like people have the desire to die like because things are so difficult it says yeah people have that desire and you know what it's okay to have that desire but choose to live anyway like keep going um and that I think is what saves it from being saccharine and saves it from being too depressing. Mm-hmm. I would totally It agree. manages to really thread that needle for me, even if in the end it is a bit, it is a bit much that Toru and Akito are best friends. now. <laughs> it's a bit much. I believe it because it's Toru, but yeah, I believe Toru, but Toru is a little unbelievable. So, you know, it's okay though. Um, so fruits basket. It was good. It's good. The only thing that I wish I got more of is Hanajima and Kyo's master. Yeah. I love them together. I love... Another May-December romance. Uh, yeah, another one. But also, like, all the jokes that she says, like, call me mommy. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I want I want to <laughs> see her get into this relationship and have both, like, somebody she loves, but also the absolute joy in torturing Kyo. It's, yeah, it's very It's funny. so good. I love it. I love them together. I don't care. I love them together so much. I love her friends so much. Her friends... They are just such good friends. It's Except, true. Okay, what was with the change at the end of them not letting? I don't know. I so in the in the manga, if you haven't read the manga, uh, Hanajima and Uotani simply will not allow Kyo into the emergency room because he called her delusional. I think is he, like ultimately what they said. Yeah, in the in this in the anime, it's he says he's disappointed in her, um, which she yeah it's he get over yourself kyo yeah i know you hate yourself but you gotta well he was doing it to push her away yeah um so they simply will not allow him into the hospital room because uh 
they are protecting Toru. And mm-hmm. I was I was really sad that they cut that from the anime. I feel like I was, I thought a lot about this part because I wonder if there's like some retconning of wanting to do that part differently. Because I do feel like it, it would make sense to me that Kyo is so like upset about what he's done that it's hard to face Toru because mm-hmm. he knows she's going to forgive him, right? Yeah. But also you have to like, there's still like, he wants her to recognize that what happened was wrong, but it's also him that was wrong. Yeah. So, like I'm, I'm curious if there was some like, I wish I would have handled that differently. So let's change it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's possible. I just wish there was a little like the, the friends realize what he did. Yeah. And I like, I like that they put up that barrier of no, you don't, you haven't earned the right to see her because you have not made the move to fucking fix yourself so that you stop hurting her. I love her running away though. That was like one of my favorite parts. I was just so funny because he's just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And he's like, I'm faster than her. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. It's so good. It was, it's so fun to watch, especially just watching him fuck up repeatedly. And you're like, yo, I still love you. You dummy. I love you, you dummy. Um, you have anything else to say about Fruits Basket? No, it was good. I'm so glad we did it, even though it was five million years long. It was so long. It was so long. And it felt even longer because we took a break. Yeah. And it was just like so much. But I'm glad we did it because it really was. It's just it's one of those ones that's just masterfully done. It's literally been like 15 years since I started Fruits Basket. <laughs> so I'm really so glad. Longer. I'm really glad to have finally seen the conclusion. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was... It was, yeah, wor- it, it was worth good. it. It yeah. was very good. It made like so, some of the choices made in the original anime really um, confusing. Like when Yuki also runs after Kyo and like, <laughs> I'm like, that's not gonna happen. Or like the, when uh, Toro does meet Akito and Akito's like super aggressive in a very different way. Yeah. Um, but obviously they didn't know at that point, but yeah. So I, I really appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kyo and I love Hatsu. I just want to die for them. <laughs> Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode. You can find us online at fakeygirlscast.com, which has all of our previous episodes um, and also a link to our podcast network, Penwich Studio, where you can check out the other shows on the network, which you will probably like. Yeah. Um, if you like this, consider leaving us a review on whatever your podcast service of choice is. Let other people know that you like it so that they're like, oh, this sounds good. And then they can come, come check it out, too. <laughs> have a good time yeah join join us uh next time we're gonna be talking about eclipse womp 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 it's the last one though no it's not no no breaking dawn oh fuck i forgot about breaking which dawn. is two movies but not two books but not two books thank god i can't do it anymore um eclipse yeah the third twilight book but which such good like is the good best talking point so far is the best one uh and also the worst one in ways that we will discuss but I, I didn't hate the experience of reading Eclipse. Um, I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. So that was an improvement. Uh, after that, we're going to be doing St. Maud. Yes. Uh, and after St. Maud, we'll be doing The Matrix. Yes. And after The Matrix, we'll probably be doing Pushing Daisies. Yes. So just a, a series whole of home runs <laughs> with different moods. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. All right. Catch you on the flip side. Yeah. <laughs>